Let me uh, open us this morning in a brief word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Oh God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for um, this subject that we get to talk about this morning, uh, the sacraments that you've given us, uh, particularly baptism, Lord. We thank you for that gift that you've given to us, and we pray, God, that you'd give us clarity of thought as we seek to understand what your word teaches. Um, Give us humility, and also give us diligence as we strive to employ our minds uh, to understand what it is that you've revealed to us, and we pray, Lord, that that would impact our hearts as well. And we pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are continuing our series on the sacraments this morning, of course. And as I promised last week, um, we are now uh, engaging in a new section of this series, and we are on the theological section. Okay, So you remember that in this series so far, we have done the historical section, which is where we've looked at various other Christian traditions and their understandings of baptism, like Roman Catholics and Lutherans and the Baptists and so on. And then we did an extended look at various um, subjects that relate to the doctrine of baptism in Scripture. And so we looked at the doctrine of the covenants. We looked at the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. We looked at circumcision, um, the Levitical washings or the Levitical baptisms in the book of Leviticus. We looked at baptism um, in in the New Testament and with relation to the Old Testament. We looked at, last week, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now, this week, we are going to sort of take everything we learned from history, everything we learned from Scripture and the various subjects related, and we're going to start to put them all together in these next about four lessons, in these next four weeks. Okay, So this is our theological section. We're taking everything we learned, and we're going to put it into very neat and tidy categories. Uh, That's the goal. And I hope it will be helpful to sort of take all the information as we've just kind of been cherry-picking all over the place, and we'll put it all together in an easy-to-understand way. Okay. So in these four weeks where we're looking at the theology of baptism, uh, we're going to explore that subject um, in four ways. Uh, The first thing we're going to do, which is what we're doing today, is we're going to look at the substance of baptism. So we're looking at like what is baptism the sacrament? What is this thing? Okay, so we're going to be defining it and looking at that. Then what we'll do next week is we're going to be looking at the mode of baptism. So how baptism is to be administered based on everything we've been talking about so far. And then we'll look at the efficacy of baptism. That is what baptism actually does. How does it benefit the recipient? How does it benefit the church as a whole? And then finally, we'll look at the recipients of baptism. So who do we give baptism to? And we'll, we'll deal with that subject when we get there, okay? So that's the goal in these next four weeks. We're going to wrap up our, our discussion of baptism by looking at those four major sections of it. All right. So today, then, we're going to look at the substance of baptism. What is baptism the sacrament? And we're going to do that under two heads in two ways. First thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what is a sacrament. So just basic asking the question, what is a sacrament? And then secondly, we'll say, what is the sacrament of baptism? And we'll try to so dig into what exactly it is and, and why we should care about it. Okay. So again, we're putting all the stuff we've learned together here to pull this off. All right, so firstly then, what is a sacrament? I think the, um, the first thing we need to note when we try to 
define what a sacrament is, is we have to understand that the word sacrament itself uh, doesn't actually show up in Scripture. Some of you maybe know this. Some of you maybe don't know this. Sacrament doesn't show up in Scripture. Um, It's a Latin word, uh, sacramentum, and it's a word that was used to translate the Greek word musterion in the New Testament, which is where we get our English word mystery. Uh, So musterion is the word that sacrament corresponds to. And musterion, actually, if you do a word study and you look at that word in the Greek New Testament, it also doesn't actually correspond to baptism or the Lord's Supper. And so what I mean by that is this. If you look at the word musterion, or sacrament in Scripture, what you'll actually find is that that word is never used to specifically refer to baptism or the Lord's Supper. The word mystery in the New Testament is used to describe the gospel of Christ, the message of the revealed work of Jesus to all of God's people and to the world. That's what mystery means, or mysterion. So basically what I'm trying to say is that when we want to understand what a sacrament is, really what we need to understand is that the word sacrament itself is not a biblical word, but rather what it is is it's a theological word. It's a word kind of like the word trinity. Right? When we talk about the Trinity, we know the Bible clearly teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one in essence and three in person, Father, Son, and Spirit, etc. We all know that. But the word Trinity itself is not in the New Testament or the Old. It's a theological word that we use to describe that particular teaching. Okay? The word sacrament is like that. It's a word that the early church in uh, like the early theological writings after the New Testament was written... Sacrament is a word that the early church would use to talk about uh, baptism and the supper, to sort of put them in the same category. But it's not a word you're going to find in Scripture or a word that's used in Scripture to refer to baptism and the Lord's Supper specifically. It's a theological word. So when we want to understand what baptism and the Lord's Supper are as sacraments, we can't depend on a definition of sacrament itself. We have to look at baptism and the Lord's Supper to see what they are. And then we can see how they relate. And that's going to give us our definition of sacrament. And this is what um, the Reformed tradition has understood throughout history. And this is why in our Westminster Confession, we have a whole chapter called On the Sacraments. And this is how the Westminster Divines define a sacrament. And this is the definition that I've been espousing throughout this series, okay? Here's what a sacrament is. If you study baptism, if you study the Lord's Supper, if you study the scriptures and and what they have to say about this, you'll find that a sacrament is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Very simple, very basic definition. That's what a sacrament is. A sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Now, just to sort of break this definition down a little bit to make it clear about what we're talking about. Remember, the covenant of grace is not synonymous with the New Testament. The covenant of grace is the story of the promises of God in the gospel through Jesus Christ from the fall of man all the way to the end of Revelation. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are both part of the covenant of grace. Covenant of grace is God's plan in history to save his people through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. So when we talk about sacraments, they are not restricted just to the New Testament. 
Sacraments encompass all of the covenant of grace, meaning there were sacraments in the Old Testament as well, because this is one story of God redeeming his people. So our confession actually talks about, as we mentioned last week, talks about Old Testament sacraments. Old Testament signs and seals of the covenant of grace. And this is why we've been using so much Old Testament to understand baptism, because we see the whole Bible is one story. There were sacraments in the New Testament, and there are sacraments in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, so just now that we have that set up, let's talk a little bit about the first part of that definition. Sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. So we talk about uh, sacraments in the Reformed tradition as being signs and seals. Now, you probably heard me say this a number of times throughout this series. I haven't explicitly defined them yet. Now I'm going to. Uh, we talk about a sacrament, first of all, as a sign. Right? A sign of the covenant of grace. And what we mean by that is this. A sign is a visible word of God proclaiming the promises of God in a way that all of our senses can perceive. Okay? So just to give you an example, think about um, the scripture. Here I've got... He's dinkling around there. Here I've got um, my copy of the word of God. All right? This is the Bible. We call this the Word of God, right? This is the written Word of God. Right? This is God's Word in a written form. We read it. We study it. right? That's the written Word. But there are more forms of the Word of God than just the written form. Right? We actually have visible forms of God's Word. And the visible forms of God's Word are sacraments. Because what sacraments do is they proclaim or they represent, they proclaim the message of the gospel, the promises of God in the gospel. They present those in a visible way, not in a written way. So if we come and we read in John 3.16 in the written word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise of the gospel in written form. In the sacraments, we also have the promise of the gospel, but it's not written. It is demonstrated for us using just regular, ordinary elements. In baptism, the promises of the gospel are displayed using water, a visible way of the sprinkling, the pouring, the immersion, whatever mode we want to use. Those are showing us the gospel in a visible way. When we see this as an example, when we see the water sprinkled on the head of an infant, right? what we're seeing is a visible representation of the blood of Jesus Christ being sprinkled on the mercy seat of Calvary, where he paid for our sins. Right? When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have elements there as well, not water, but there we have bread and wine. Symbolizing the body and blood of Christ that was shed for us and our need to constantly feed on him. Right? To be nourished by his work. Okay, So in that sense, we have the gospel promises being presented to us in a visible form. And it's complementary to the written form of the word of God that we have in scripture. Okay, So that's what we mean when we talk about a sacrament being a sign. It is a visible representation of the promises in the Word of God, all right? demonstrated to us using 
water or bread or wine, right? physical elements, so we can see the gospel at work, not just read it at work. Okay? So that's what the Reformed tradition means when we talk about a sacrament being a sign. But it's not just that a sacrament is only a sign. Because as we said a moment ago, a sacrament is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. And this is where I think a number of uh, Christian traditions can make a little bit of an error here in that they see sacraments as only being signs. The Reformed tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, has understood that the sacraments are signs. We certainly embrace that. They are visible word of God. But they are more than that. They are also seals of the covenant of grace. And here's what we mean when we say that the sacraments are seals. All right? We have in mind that the sacraments have in them, or that in the sacraments, I should say, there is a kind of spiritual work happening. It's not just a bare naked symbol that just recalls into our intellect some kind of facts. No, there is a spiritual work that is happening in the sacraments, a work of the Holy Spirit. And the way that we describe this spiritual work happening in the sacraments is we say that it is a means of grace. The sacraments are a means of grace. And there's a very important distinction that we have to make here. When we say the sacraments are a means of grace, we do not mean that the sacraments are a means of justifying grace. This is, for example, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Sacraments are means of justifying grace. And what they mean by that is that when a recipient comes and partakes of the sacrament of baptism or partakes of the Mass, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for the Roman Catholic Church, when they do that, when they partake of that sacrament, there is actually an infusion of justifying grace where God gives grace and pours it into the individual who is taking that sacrament, and on the basis of that infused grace, God declares that person righteous because they actually are righteous. They've received that grace, and they become righteous, and God says, there, you are innocent, you are justified. That is not what we mean when we talk about the sacraments being a means of grace in the Reformed tradition. The sacraments are not justifying you. We are justified through faith alone. Okay? But we do believe the sacraments are means of grace. Not justifying grace, but rather the sacraments are means of sanctifying grace. That's a key distinction. The sacraments are means of sanctifying grace. And so it's in this way then that the sacraments are a major part or play an important part of our sanctification as believers. The sacraments are for those who have faith, for those who are in the process of sanctification, who are being conformed progressively to the image of Jesus Christ, who are being unified with him, who are seeking holy lives in faith, in joyful response to the the salvation that they have received from God. So the sacraments are not part of justification. The sacraments are part of sanctification. They are for believers and their children. And we'll talk about the relationship between believers and their children um, in a couple of weeks. So the sacraments are a means of sanctifying grace. And so what that means then is that the Holy Spirit in the sacraments is working to sanctify the believer. 
And what we mean by that, as we continue to sort of get as much precision as we can, what we mean is that in the sacraments, whether in baptism or in the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit is working to strengthen the faith of the believer in the promises of God offered in the gospel in the covenant of grace. All right? The Holy Spirit is working to strengthen our faith in the sacraments. And this is what we mean when we say that the sacraments are a seal. The Holy Spirit is sealing the promises on us, leaving an indelible mark saying, these promises are true, and is working in us a stronger faith in those promises. And so the sacraments work profoundly as a means of sanctifying grace to bring us greater assurance of our salvation. See, they work very similarly to the Word of God. Right? The written Word and the visible Word are working in the same way. When we read the Word of God and we read the promises of God in the Scriptures, we are building our assurance. We are building our faith. It is getting strengthened because the Spirit works through the Word to strengthen our faith and to sanctify us in that way. In the visible Word, in the sacraments, the Spirit is doing the same thing. The Spirit is working to strengthen us. And we're going to really explore this concept when we get into the Lord's Supper because that is the most profound, I think, way that we as Christians experience that work of the Spirit to sanctify us, to strengthen our faith. I love the way that, uh, that Calvin puts it when he talks about the sacraments. He says that the sacraments' purpose is to strengthen, to support, and to nourish our faith in the promises of God in the gospel. That's exactly what they're doing. And so you see, they're not bare, naked symbols. There is a real spiritual work happening as the Spirit works in us in baptism and the Lord's Supper to strengthen our faith in those promises. Now, getting then over to the second part of our subject for this morning, what is baptism? Right, we, just, we just defined what a sacrament is. Now we'll talk about what baptism is. Uh, baptism also, because it's a sacrament is a sign and seal of the promises of God in the covenant of grace. Right? That's what baptism is. Now, when we talk about the promises of God in the covenant of grace, or the promises of the gospel, I don't want to leave that as just being some kind of vague category. I want to define for you, what are these promises that baptism is signifying and sealing as a sacrament? And... To just sort of outline these briefly, our confession, the Westminster Confession, outlines four promises of the gospel that are um, signified and sealed in baptism. And here's what those four are. And you'll see then why the, this water rite of baptism is so helpful to nourish our faith. So here are the four promises. Um, baptism is a sign and seal of the promise of engrafting into Christ. In grafting into Christ, right? And, we, and I'm sure if you've studied the Gospels for any amount of time, you know Jesus likes to use that, that metaphor, that, that analogy of, of us being engrafted into him as the vine. Um, we're the branches. And he is making us a part of his body. This is union with Christ language here. We are being engrafted into Christ in our salvation. And so baptism is a sign and seal of the promise that we have been engrafted. And we are going to continue to be engrafted. So that's the first promise, the engrafting into Christ. Secondly, regeneration, which, as we talked about last week, is 
Spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, right, is the process where God uh, pours out the Holy Spirit into us, and the Holy Spirit regenerates our dead, sinful, totally depraved human hearts and makes them alive and makes them joyous and wanting to come to Christ so that we run to Christ after we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Right? That's part of his effectual calling at work. That's the effect of predestination. Where before the foundation of the world, God declared to regenerate his elect. And that's what he does in time. And I think most of us have, maybe not most of us, some of us probably have been Christians. We were regenerated before we even knew it. We were Christians from our very earliest time of life. But others of us came to Christ later in life. And we remember, in some sense, that experience of that regeneration. So that's also a promise of the gospel that baptism is a sign and seal of. The promise of the baptism of the Spirit that Jesus promised, um, or that John promised about Jesus. Okay, so engrafting into Christ, regeneration, and there's two more promises that baptism is a sign and seal of. Third promise is the remission of sins. We can see this all over in the scriptures, right? That's the whole point of the sprinkling of the water, of the pouring, or so on. This is this is imagery from the Old Testament of the sprinkling of blood on the altar. The remission of sins, atonement that Jesus accomplished for us. Baptism is a sign and seal of that. And then fourthly, the last promise, is the giving up unto God to walk in newness of life. The giving up unto God to walk in newness of life. And the divines are getting this from Romans chapter 6, where Paul says that, that through spirit baptism, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have been buried with Christ in which we were also raised with him to walk in newness of life. So what he's talking about there is the fact that baptism symbolizes that we, who have, we as Christians who have been engrafted into Christ, who have been regenerated by spirit baptism, who have had our sins remitted, have now become new creatures. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. We are a new creation. And now, as the new man, as the regenerated man, as the Christian... We now walk in that new life. That is, we now live a life of sanctification. We live as we seek holiness, as we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we're walking in this new life, this new creation. That's another thing baptism is a promise of and a sign and seal of those promises. Okay? So there you have the four major promises of the gospel in the covenant of grace. All right? That's what baptism is signifying through this visible uh, rite of, of water, and it's also sealing. That is, the Holy Spirit is working through the sacrament to instill in our hearts a stronger faith and assurance in those promises of God. Okay? All right, so that is the most fundamental part of what baptism is. Now, we also want to talk about a couple other things about baptism that um, also are going to distinguish it from the Lord's Supper. Because everything we just said about baptism so far could also apply to the Lord's Supper. So here are some things that are interesting about baptism itself, or at least a little bit more related to baptism. Uh, Firstly, baptism is not only a sign and seal of the promises of God in the covenant of grace, but baptism is also admission into the visible church. 
Baptism is admission into the visible church. Now there's one really important idea in this statement that we have to grasp. Notice that I did not say that baptism is admission into the invisible church. Just uh, to question, uh, question for you here, I'm looking for a response. What is the difference between the invisible church and the visible church? You remember? We talked about this uh, several weeks ago, but it's a, a very important distinction. What's the difference between the invisible church and the visible church? You missed that lesson. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Actually, there are a lot of just like faces here that I don't remember from that lesson. No one wants to take a shot at it? All right, so you're all just like on the edge of your seat. It's like, what is this distinction? What is this? All right, so here's, here's the definition. You want to have this filed away in your brain. This is very important for understanding sacraments. The, this, this is, uh, can't talk. The distinction between the invisible church and the visible church. Here's the difference, okay? The visible church is the church that we can see. Makes sense why it's called that, right? It's the church we can see. That is, when we talk about the visible church, we are talking about the Christians that we can see with our eyes. We see someone professes faith in Christ. We see a group of people who profess to believe in Christ, who come together for worship on Sundays, who have formed a church, right? Every member of Pearl Presbyterian Church is part of the visible church, the institutional church, okay? That's the visible church. Everyone we can see, everyone who professes to believe in Christ. But the visible church is not to be confused with the invisible church because the invisible church is not just those who profess to believe in Christ, not just those who are members of a particular church, but rather the invisible church is only true believers, only the elect. And we know that there has to be a distinction here, right? Because not everyone who professes to believe in Christ is actually a believer in Jesus. There are many people who claim to be Christians but are not. And so those people who claim to be Christians but aren't actually Christians are part of the visible church, they may be members of some PCA church somewhere or some Lutheran church somewhere or something. But if they're not genuine, true believers, if they are not God's elect, then they are not part of the invisible church. Because the invisible church is the church we can't see. We don't know for sure who is part of the invisible church. The only person that we can ever know is truly part of the invisible church is ourselves. We can only have assurance of our own salvation. We can't have assurance perfect 100% assurance of anyone else except ourselves. Okay, So the invisible church is invisible because we can't see who's a part of it. We don't know for sure. We can make good guesses. We can say, man, that guy, he's such a follower of Jesus. Like, look at his life. He lives such a holy life. He just loves the Lord. He's in the word. There's lots of signs where we can see, okay, that guy's probably a genuine believer. He's probably in the invisible church. But we never know for sure. We can't see it. Okay. Does that distinction make sense between the two? Okay, good. So, as it relates to baptism then, we need to make this understanding clear that baptism is admission into the visible church, not the invisible church. 
If baptism were admission into the invisible church, then we'd have a view that says baptism saves you. Baptism justifies you. Baptism regenerates you. This is the view of the Roman Catholics. We don't hold this view. Rather, we hold the view that baptism doesn't admit you into the invisible church, that is, into the number of the elect or into the number of the truly saved. Rather, baptism admits you into the visible church. Okay, That's a key distinction. If you receive baptism, it's because you are to be considered a Christian. We don't know for sure if you are a Christian. We can never know for sure if anyone is. But when we baptize you, you are considered part of the visible church. And that is why, in the PCA, we consider the children of believers to be eligible for baptism and therefore to be considered members of the church. Now, we do make a distinction between communing members and non-communing members, that is, members who can partake of the supper and members that can't. And we'll talk about that distinction when we get to the Lord's Supper. But nonetheless, we consider the children of believers to be members of the church. They are to be considered Christians. And we'll talk about why that is in two weeks. Why that is in two weeks, okay? So just file this one away. Baptism is admission into the visible church. That's a key. All right, and then finally now as we're wrapping up here, baptism plays a crucial role in sanctification. And I guess this is also something we could attribute to the Lord's Supper as well and something we've already talked about this morning. But here's how baptism plays an essential role in our sanctification. I love what, what Calvin says about this. Now, Calvin is not the greatest on the doctrine of baptism, but he does have a lot of really good things to say, a lot of really good points. And one of the things that he says that is really helpful is he says that we as Christians have very weak faith, don't we? We often have really weak faith. We, we don't believe God. We don't believe his promises as well as we should. We're still at war with ourselves, with the old man and the new man, or it's struggling within us, as Paul expresses in Romans. So we have frail, weak faith, Calvin says. Which is precisely why God gave us the sacraments. He gave us not only the written word, but the visible word. And this visible word, these sacraments, are at work in our lives to strengthen our faith in the promises of God as a part of our sanctification. And so this is why, in our Reformed tradition, we believe not only that the sacraments are a means of grace, but also that the effects of baptism, the work of the Spirit in baptism, is not limited to the moment of its administration. So what we're saying here is this. It's not just that there's a signing and sealing happening when the baptism is actually performed. But rather, this signing and sealing, this spiritual work of baptism is happening throughout the life of the believer. Because as Calvin says, when we look back to our baptism, even if we don't remember it, even if it happened before we were even conscious of it happening, when we look back to our baptism, when we see other people being baptized, there, the Spirit is working not only in the person who is baptized, but the Spirit is working in those believers who are watching the baptism. Because the Spirit is working as we see that visible Word of God displayed in the pouring of the water on whoever's being baptized. We see the promises of God in the Gospel at work there. 
And the Spirit is working through that to strengthen our faith in us as well. All right, well, we are out of time. I need to stop there. There was one more thing I want to say, but we'll save that for next week. As we continue looking at baptism in these coming weeks, I hope that this will be a blessing for you because now we're taking the pieces and we're putting them together and we're just trying to be as clear and precise as we can and say, this is why we should care about the sacraments. They are so important. They are a special means of grace whereby God actually works in us faith in his promises and seals them on our hearts. That is not something to be neglected. That is not something that we should not care about. That is so important. And we're going to continue to see that as we go along. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer this morning and we'll return next week to talk more about this subject. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially today for baptism, that visible word where we see uh, the promises of your gospel so vividly portrayed in a way that, that we can see. Uh, oh God, we pray, Lord, that you would work this teaching deeply into our hearts, that we would see that you are at work in the sacraments. They're not naked signs. They're not bare symbols. They are actually working in us through your spirit. And they are continuing to work in us through your spirit even now. So God, we pray that uh, you would help us to understand this better and give us clarity of thought. Um, we pray now also that you would prepare us for worship and that we would hear your word with open hearts and open minds and that you would change us today as your word is preached this morning. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.